Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the SQ Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Sales. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a short one today. Um, I'm going to do my Super Bowl preview and then a couple little things here and there. Uh, I'm really looking forward to next week, though. Um, there's a, a lot more stuff I'm going to be doing next week. I might talk a little bit about it at the end of this podcast, but maybe not give away the big thing because I'm actually really excited about that and I hope people will be able to enjoy that too. Um, so for this opening monologue or whatever you want to call it, whatever I'd normally do with this. I'm just going to talk about Kobe for a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm always going to remember where I was when I found out, you know, about what happened. I was sitting almost exactly where I am right now recording and I was just going through my phone and I saw it. It just like punched me in the stomach. Right. Um, I, I was not fortunate enough to be able to watch Kobe when he was Kobe. Uh, the, the only, I, I probably, I started watching, what was it? 2015, that's when I really started watching the NBA. And so the, the only game of Kobe's that I can say that like I watched as it was happening was his last game where he had those 60 points on 50 shots. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how much left there is to say, especially for someone like me who didn't watch Kobe a ton, but I mean, he, he was an all time great, right? I mean, he generally was there when you needed him to be at the end of those games and he's always going to go down as a winner. Right. Um, I think the the bigger thing is just a lot of things to take away from his and his passing and all of the other families that uh, lost people in that crash. It's just, you know, like be ready at any moment to just kind of drop any preconceived grudges or just bad emotions you have towards the people you care about. And just you got to be willing to let those go sometimes because as this shows us, you know, like you don't have a ton of control over some things in your life and it can all, it can all be gone in an instant. And I I think uh, it's up to all of us, you know, to be more cognizant of this fact and try and uh, do what we can to lead better lives and make sure that we're not regretting anything. If something like this is taken out of our control. Um, I think like just looking back on Kobe's legacy, I mean, I think we're, the biggest thing I'm going to take away is just how, how hard of a worker he was. Right. I mean, I think that I'm not going to pretend like Kobe is, you know, some perfect person. Obviously there was, you know, the, the case that happened in the early two thousands. And I think that he worked as hard as he possibly could to the detriment of the environment around him sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's undeniable that this dude was willing to do whatever it took to be, whatever it took to be great. And I think that deserves some respect. I mean, even with me, I just read an interview or I watched an interview of him when he was in Italy and he was speaking Italian and, you know, it inspired me. Like I, I'm taking Italian right now. Like I really want to buckle in and be good at it. And someone like him, you know, with his work ethic, it kind of reminds people, you know, like, oh, I can do something like that too. Like, and obviously like there are very few people in the world that are going to work as hard as Kobe Bryant did, but it's the point, right? You just got to keep fighting and, keep going. So I, I mean, those are my thoughts, you know, like I'm not, I'm not some Kobe expert or anything that could talk about Kobe's legacy and impact on the NBA for 15 hours, but I can respect the greatness dude was dude was a legend and you know, he'll be remembered as one for long, long time. All right, next up is going to be two little things here. Um, they're kind of just complaints I have with certain like 
sports narratives going on right now. Um, okay, I which one do I want to start? All right, I'm going to start with the NBA empty stats thing with the All-Stars going on right now. Because the All-Star reserves were just pointed out yesterday, or they were announced yesterday. And the egregious snubs, I would think, were Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. I think that that it's easy for these high volume shooters to on bad these high volume shooters on bad teams to be labeled as just oh they're just empty stats guys like they're not actually helping their team um and they like they shouldn't be all-stars or anything because they're not actually they're not actually providing any value to a a winning form of basketball and i i kind of have i have gripes with that just because Especially, I guess, the the biggest knock on them is that they don't play they don't play defense at all, like, and that's kind of, that's kind of the thing that helps that empty stats narrative, right? Because like you're putting all your energy into one side of the ball, and you're not able to do anything on the other side of the ball. But if that's the case, then why is Trey Young starting the All Star game? Trey Young is averaging twenty nine points, I believe it is. Trey Young, yeah, Trey Young is averaging twenty nine points a game and his assist numbers are really high too I think it is let me see this uh this season he's averaging 29.4 points a game and 9.2 assists and if you watch Trey Young he's very very obviously like the worst defender in the league right now and it's it's really not close like the dude I I always think back to this whenever I think of uh, Trey Young on defense uh Zach Lowe in an article a couple years ago called him uh, the equivalent of a wet tissue paper on defense. And that's what he is. Like, he's completely lost on defense. Like, has no idea what he's doing. He gets beat off the dribble, like, incredibly easily, like, without having to do any fancy moves whatsoever. And then he's, he's like, my size. So he gets bullied. He can get bullied down by basically anybody in the league if they wanted to. And now if you want to be pro pro Trey Young, you can say that he is shouldering this load on a team that's very offensively challenged and he's a real one of their main distributors, which I would tend to agree with. Um but then you look at somebody like Bradley Beal who is also Bradley Beal's also 29 points a game, I think it is. Let me I'm looking it up right now. Um Bradley Beal's at 28.7 points a game, 6.4 assists. On a team that I would say is worse than the Hawks because they have the Hawks have been hurt, but they have a lot of really talented guys like John Collins, who's finally back. They have Kevin Herter, who's been pretty solid, and they have uh, some talent. They have talented. Wait, hold on. What am I saying? Sorry. They have Alex Len, another really solid guy. Like they have some pieces to be great. Now, granted, they've also are giving a lot of time to a lot of rookies like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. And that's going to make you struggle a little bit. But, like, they have other options to pass the ball around to. Bradley Beal is playing with basically nobody. He's playing with an injured Thomas Bryant and Rui, who is a rookie. Who's been, he's been fine for a rookie, but again, eh, not great. And Bradley Beal has been leading the league in minutes Basically for the last like three years or so. He's currently, this season, he's averaging 35 and a half, which isn't leading the league right now. But he's played every game so far. And I would say he's doing a pretty similar job to Trey Young. And their records, I really don't think are that dissimilar. 
I think that there's just a lot of hype around Trey Young because he's in Atlanta. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't even – you can't even say that because Atlanta's like a, a reasonably small market basketball team. It really makes no sense to me. Same thing, Devin Booker, I would argue, is – Devin Booker really isn't that good on defense, but he's better than Trey Young, and he's gotten a lot better as a passer, and he is absolutely handling the scoring load. I think it's a little lessened now that DeAndre Ayton is back. But my point is these are all – pretty similar guys and I, I don't see why one of them is being held up over the other as like a good player if that makes any sense especially because Trey Young on the defensive end is just putrid like absolutely putrid yeah so the Hawks are 13 and 36 which is three games ahead of the Golden State Warriors for worst record in the league the Wizards are four games ahead of the Hawks in the East standings, and the Suns have a seven game, are better, have a better record than the Hawks by seven games. So what, like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? I don't know. Really confusing to me, and I, it just kind of annoys me a little bit. But yeah, what do you? I'm not going to stand on my soapbox for forever and talk about All Star reserves, right? So, and then my next, my next quibble here is in regards to Eli Manning. I don't think this is an unpopular opinion necessarily, but I've tended to, now that Eli's done, I tend to be of the opinion that he should not be in the Hall of Fame, but he will be in the Hall of Fame. And I will list out my reasonings why. And to me, it's it's pretty straightforward, but for some reason, like there is a large contingent of people that don't agree with me. I think my, my main argument for the Hall of Fame is regardless of winning Super Bowls, anything like that, first and foremost, like you have to have been a top three, top five player at your position for, um, let's say like three to five years, something like that. Like you not, no, not three, not three. That's definitely not true. Like five years, something like that. Like you need to have a period of sustained excellence in the league. And if, and that's just the first thing, right? And if you can't say that, then you don't belong in the hall. I'm sorry. You just don't. Um, that's my that's my reason. Like I, People will try to argue Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman does not belong in the Hall of Fame. He is absolutely one of the best players in the playoffs that we've had in quite a while. I mean, the numbers would bear that out, right? The dude is just – he's great and steps up in the playoffs when he needs to. But in the regular season, there is maybe one or two instances where he's been a top eh, – 10, 12 receiver in the league. And that that's like the highest he would go. Like he's just not had the success of the regular season where you can say that he deserves to be in the hall as you know, as much as I would love for that to not be the case. That's just, that's how it is. Right. And we're going to look, I'm looking at Eli Manning stats and he has three separate seasons where he has thrown over 20 interceptions. He's thrown, he threw 20 in 2007. He threw 25 in 2010. And then in 2013, he threw 27 interceptions. He threw three less than Jameis Winston did this year. I don't understand how that's even possible. Like, it should not be possible to throw that many interceptions in a year. Like, you should be able to figure out, oh, I should stop. It's it's just mind it's just mind boggling to me. If you look, like he he was never he was at best a slightly above average quarterback for most of his career, and then by the end of his career, he was. He was bad. He was bad for, let me see here. 
he he was decent 2015. I guess he he threw a lot of touchdown passes 2015, but he, I still wouldn't argue like there were a lot of quarterbacks that were throwing a lot of touchdown passes that year for that for some weird reason that I I never really understood. Um, so that was probably the best year he's had since 2011, which I think most people tend to say is probably like his best year, if not one of his best years. And other than that, he was just kind of like, yeah, it was all right. Like the, the seasons that they were good, he wasn't really the reason that they were good other than 2011, if that makes any sense. Like they had a lot of really good rosters around him with, I mean, we can talk about those defenses all day. And I think that's, that's how I will lead into, because clearly if you look at his numbers, the regular season is not going to get Eli in the hall of fame by himself. I mean, people will talk about his volume numbers, but that's just because he's played a really, really long time having like okay to bad seasons for a lot of his career. It's, it's just compiling. It's, it's kind of like Frank Gore, but Frank Gore, I would actually argue deserves to be in the hall of fame because even if he's ne- he hasn't been like the, one of the premier running backs in the league for a long time, like accumulating the numbers he has had in today's age as a running back, like should be impossible because running backs have almost zero shelf life nowadays. But I think that that deserves special recognition because it's a running back instead of a quarterback. Like that's really, that's a really unique situation to me. Eli is not a unique situation to me at all. I think he's going to end up, I think it's what number seven all time in passing yards, something like that. But it's just because he just played for a really long time. It wasn't because he was like particularly efficient or really good when he was playing. It was just, he just played a long time. Um, so that leaves us with his playoff records, his playoff games. And that's why he's going to get in the league or that's why that's his case for the hall of fame. And if you look at his, his numbers, he made the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six. He made the playoffs six times in his career. The, he had four runs where he played his first game and they lost. They went one and done four years out of six. His first game, his first playoff game, or his first one-and-done playoff run, I should say, threw uh, 113 yards and three picks. His second was he threw 161 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick on 27 passes, I should say. 2008, he threw 169 yards and two picks. And 2016, the Packers game, which I vividly remember watching, he was 23 of 44 for 229 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And he had 52.3 completion percentage. Like, and I remember watching that game. He was bad. And now granted Aaron Rodgers was really, really good that game, but Eli was just not up to the task of leading that offense at all. So what this comes down to is he had eight playoff games in 2007 and 2011. And he was actually very good for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean that 2011 run was awesome. He threw, uh, 1,219 yards with nine touchdowns and one interception, 2011. Great. Like Eli, and he made a ton of great throws in that Super Bowl. I will, that Mario Manningham throw was going to be in my nightmares for a very long time. That was great, but he had one great playoff run and that was awesome. 2007, he was pretty solid. Again, he had six touchdowns, one interception, 854 yards. And this was before people started air. <clears throat> this was before people started airing it out. But I always come back to, it was his opponents, right? If he had played instead of 2007 and 2011, if he played in the Super Bowls 2008 and 2012, 
nobody would care. Like Eli Manning would not be in consideration for the Hall of Fame right now. He had, he played in a Super Bowl. He actually, he played very well in 2011. I will give him 2011. But then we're talking about 2007 against the undefeated Patriots. If his defense had not held one of the best offenses of all time to 14 points, this would not even be a discussion. Like Eli Manning did not win them the 2007 Super Bowl. He had the Tyreek helmet catch, which I will always complain about how that should have been a hold on the center because he was choking um, Richard Seymour, but whatever, whatever. Um, Eli Manning scored 17 points and won a Super Bowl against one of the best offenses of all time, and he gets a decent chunk of that credit, and that's his his ticket to the Hall of Fame. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, Eli Manning was not the reason they won that game. And I think that if you have to, if you change the Patriots in 2007-2011 to the Steelers in 2008 and the Ravens in 2012, I don't think this is a discussion. Like, I don't think people are going to care that much. And if the reason that your Super Bowls hold so much weight is because of who they were played against and how well your defense did against them, I th- I just I don't think that means that you make the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Like, and I don't. I'm not even going to get into the whole like the story of the game argument because that is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, I'm not even going to entertain that. So, Eli was just he was never good enough in the regular season to justify like being an elite quarterback that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And in the playoffs, he had one really good run and one solid run where and that run was capped off by his defense playing a really great game against a historically great team. Like Joe Flacco had arguably the best run by a quarterback in the playoffs ever. And Joe Flacco is not going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Whatever. So... In summary, Eli Manning, not a Hall of Famer in my book, but I think he he will end up being in the Hall of Fame, I think, at some point. I don't think he should be. (sighs) It's nice to finally get that all out there. I've been waiting to do my Eli Manning thing for a very, very long time. So it's great that I was finally able to do that. So now a word from our sponsors, and then I'm going to get into my Super Bowl preview. Right, here we go. Super Bowl. I'm super pumped. I mean, I'm kind of bummed because this is the, my my birthday is always the weekend of the Super Bowl. And this is the first time in probably like 4 to 5 years that my birthday is on the same day as the Super Bowl, but it's also the first time since the Patriots have started making all those Super Bowls <clears throat> that they're not in the Super Bowl. So, kind of bummed that the Patriots aren't in it, but I mean, this is a, as good a matchup as I could have asked for if the Patriots weren't in the Super Bowl. I mean, th- these are two really fun, entertaining teams with generally a lot of likable characters. I'm going to pretend that Tyreek Hill and Richard Sherman don't exist for a second. Not that they're in the same conversation of unlikable dude, but you know what I mean. Um, it's just a really, really fun matchup. And it's it's pretty self-explanatory. I feel like for the most part, I mean, what, what part of the ball do I want to start on first? I guess I'll do the Niners offense versus the chiefs defense. Um, Cause this is, this is what's going to win the game right here. Cause I think my, my overall point is going to be that the chiefs are going to score points. It's just a matter of what the Niners are going to be able to do to keep up with them. 
And I think that it is important to know, like the Chiefs run defense is still very much a problem. Like that defensive line gets pushed around a lot and guys like Anthony Hitchens aren't going to do much to support them, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well you run the ball if the Chiefs are just going to keep scoring, right? Like being able to run the wall, run the ball the way that they do and the Titans do is good against a team like the Patriots who can't score every given play so that they need like they need as many possessions as possible. But the Chiefs, it doesn't matter, right? Like that's why they were always able to beat the Ravens because they just they can score on one drive from the 25 and it doesn't matter if they don't get the ball for another eight minutes because they're just going to score again on the next drive. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be up to Garoppolo to win this game. He's going to have to make the throws needed to keep up with this chiefs offense. And I think he can do it. I mean, I think the chiefs, the chiefs are probably going to want him to win this game, right? Like the, cause that run game is still dangerous. Like they're all so fast that they can break off some of those runs. I bet they'll stack the box a little bit, not too much, but they'll probably put like an extra guy in there every now and then. And they're going to, they're going to say, look, Jimmy, like we need, we need you to prove to us that we need to respect you. And it's, it's also more of a, of a, an idea that they don't have a ton of weapons other than Kittle. Right. I mean, Kittle is awesome. I could talk about George Kittle for forever, but at the end of the day, they have Emmanuel Sanders who's still new to the system. Right. And other than that, none of their receivers have really flashed an, like enough of a consistent presence. I would say Debo Samuel can be that guy, but it's not always there. I mean, sometimes his only impact is really just because they give him the ball in like a, a jet sweep or something like that. Um, but I think he can do it. I mean, we've had so many instances these last co- these last couple of months, like the the Saints game, I would say, or the Rams game. Uh, we have a lot of instances of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball in the fourth quarter when they need him to make these really difficult throws, and he does it. He's just he's good under pressure. God, it's, uh, he 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 is not similar to Brady. I because I don't want to keep comparing him to Brady because I, I think he said like half of his questions have been about Tom Brady this week, which I think is just really stupid. But I think that he performs. When he performs when he needs to, and I really miss that about him because, man, I wish he was still on the Patriots. But that's how it goes, I guess. Um, so Jimmy is going to have to make those deep shots. He's gonna, I I wouldn't hate it if they try to get Dante Pettis involved a little bit more, but he's in the doghouse, I guess. But so it's going to be. I would expect the Chiefs to kind of key in on George Kittle. Probably put it would probably double team George Kittle. I would say, and it's going to be up to Jimmy to find Emmanuel Sanders going deep to keep them in this game. Now, the other side of the ball is interesting because the Chiefs' offense needs no introduction. I'm not going to give you any reasons why they're as good as they are because we all know why they're so good. Um, but so the. The chief, the 49ers have only let up 13 plays of 20-plus yards, I think, which is best in the league. And obviously the Chiefs are first in the league by a ridiculous margin <clears throat> on deep plays. And I don't think that's going to matter too much, though, because I, and I don't want to drag the Patriots into everything that I talk about, but the Patriots play the Chiefs, I would say, very similarly to how I would expect the Niners to play against the Chiefs where they didn't let up 
they didn't let up a ton of deep plays. Like the Chiefs are going to get probably like one or two really deep plays in this game because that's just how good they are. But what the Chiefs are always able to do against the Patriots, and they'll probably let happen against the 49ers, is they are totally willing to just take all of the underneath stuff and let their guys just work in space, and they'll get you bit by bit by bit until they score. And then eventually they'll bust through another big play, and then they'll just keep doing it over and over and over again. They don't even have to run the ball. like They just have to throw these really quick screen passes, little slants, and ins and outs. Because, I mean, you have Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman and Travis Kelsey and Damian Williams. They're all really good on these little underneath things. If you just get them the ball like two yards past the line of scrimmage, they're going to be able to wiggle around a little bit and get those chain-moving possessions. Um, I don't think they're going to run, run the ball a ton this game because it's not super effective for them. I think Damian Williams still provides a lot of value to you as a running back out of the backfield, or a receiving back out of the backfield, I should say. Um, but at the end of the day, this defense is just its really, really good. And I think the Patriots showed you in the AFC Championship game last year that, um, and this isn't even a Mahomes thing. This is just a people in general thing. Like that interior pressure is really, really important. They were able to, the Patriots were able to get their linebackers, Kyle Van Noy, Hightower. They were able to get these guys blitzing in down the middle or sometimes off the side. And they were able to rattle Mahomes a little bit. And he was off for the the entire first half of that game and obviously they figured it out and it didn't matter but that first half was all they needed to hold the Chiefs down a little bit and then in the end it was just it was too much for the Chiefs to overcome and I think the 49ers are going to try and do something similar and they have the luxury that the Patriots didn't of their pass rush is already incredibly elite without the linebackers needing to blitz or provide that extra pressure, right? I mean, they just have Armstead, Bosa, Buckner. Those guys can do what they need to do by themselves. So I think Mahomes will be under siege a little bit. I think he was he was having some trouble, or not having trouble, but he was being pressured by the Titans a decent chunk of that game before it got out of hand. And I think the Niners are going to be able to do something pretty similar. But like I said, they're going to have Fred Warner and they're going to have Quan Alexander. They're going to have them out in coverage to help uh, against a lot of these speedy guys like right over the middle of the field. And that's going to be a huge advantage for them, I think. Um, in the end, I think the 49ers are still going to be, or the Chiefs, sorry, are still going to be able to score like a lot, like probably like 27, 30-something points. But I, I think that the 49ers might be able to stop them just enough where – it's not the Chiefs aren't going to be able to overcome however many drives it is of them not being able to score. Like I the I would predict this team or this game to go very similarly to the AFC Championship game last year where the Chiefs might be held down a little bit early and then they just go bananas, but the 49ers are also going to be able to go bananas. And it's going to be some I would say probably somewhere around the range of like 34-27, maybe a little bit more high scoring, something like that. I think these are just these are two really really good teams that are incredible at what they do. I just think this 49ers team is more balanced and that's what matters more in the end. Like this defense the, their defense is so so good and their offense when it's when a Shanahan offense is clicking there's just there's something beautiful about it. It was like the Falcons, like just watching the Falcons do their thing was really really pleasant to watch. And if they have both the offense and the defense going, I think that they can just reach a level that this Chiefs team can't just because their defense isn't quite as good. Like the, the 49ers defense is going to be more consistent. I think that they're going to be able to hold the Chiefs 
for just a little bit. Like, I, I don't even think that the 49ers defense is going to have a great game. But as long as they hold for just a little bit longer than the Chiefs defense can, that's going to make a huge difference in a game like this, I think. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the 49ers. I could totally see the Chiefs winning. I think this is going to be a very tight game. I think I saw, where did I read it? Um, Mahomes has lost has never lost a game by more than seven points because they just, they score when they need to score, right? Like they're, God, they're so good. Um, but I just think this 49ers team is really, really good. And I think that if any, if any defense has a chance of limiting the, the Chiefs for just a little bit, it's this Niners defense. So I'm going to go with the Niners and I'm really looking forward to watching this game. I think it's going to be, I it has the potential to be, one of the better Super Bowls that we've had the last couple of years. And I just, I can't stop talking about how excited I am about this game. So until then, I guess. That's all I've got for you this week, guys. Um, next week, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff to talk about. because obviously the Super Bowl will have happened by then. Um, the last season of BoJack Horseman came out today. And I'm going to watch that this weekend, and then I will relay my thoughts on the whole series to you guys. I don't think I talked about it uh, when I was watching it in, like, October, but I'm going to talk about BoJack Horseman. Uh, my birthday, like I said, is on Sunday, and I'm going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before the Super Bowl, so I'll talk about that. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So I've got those three things, and then I have one last thing that is going to be pretty big, I think, that should happen next week. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that yet, but... It'll be really, really fun. Uh, I'm excited to do it. And I think that's that's it. I'll just wrap it up from here. So as always, guys, the SQ Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you can get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at S3Sales. You can follow me on Instagram at SSSales. And until next time, thanks for watching, guys.